Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a great whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. Been a little bit confused lately, which is nothing new. But what's been confusing me most recently is that I've been seeing a lot of online chatter about NFTs. Now, nobody knows exactly what these are, but the NFT stands for Nitro Burnin' Funny Cars, the Dead Milkmen song. Anyway, it's my understanding that people are spending a lot of money on these things and using blockchain technology to get them. And I just want to be like, guys, guys, that's not how you get NFTs. The way you get NFTs is you hurl your slammer down on your friend's stack of NFTs and any of them that flip over, you get to keep. It's the law. Anyway, the episode that you're about to hear is a couple of weeks in the making, so I won't keep you from it too much longer. Uh, This one accidentally got erased and then we had to re-record it. It was a whole rigmarole, but I hope that you enjoy it. Now. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by James Satter. Valkyrie is Norse, Wonder Girl is kinda Roman. Hawkeye and Speedy are both accomplished bowmen. Subby likes the water, Aqualad likes it too. Hulk turns into Banner, Beast Boy turns into a zoo. Damon's father is the devil, Duella's dad's the prince of crime. While Jericho is silent, Steven sometimes speaks in rhyme. Nighthawk as a leader was often hit or miss. Nightwing was much better. Let's tighten up this synopsis. Thanks, James. That was fun. Defenders, number 109. July, 1982. Vengeance cries the Valkyrie. Written by J.M. DeMatteis and Mark Gruenwald. Drotted by Don Perlin. Inkted by Joe Sinnott. Letterded by Shelley Lefferman, colorded by George Russos, and edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup Valkyrie, Doctor Strange, Hellcat, The Incredible Hulk, Son of Satan, Namor, Gargoyle, Beast, Spider Man, and somebody else. Intriguing. Previously in the Defenders. Dr. Stephen Strange has always taken Clea, his awesome disciple-slash-girlfriend, a not-at-all-creepy combination, for granted. In unrelated news, an indeterminate but seemingly brief amount of comic book time ago, billionaire-do-well-bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, unnecessarily sacrificed his life to stop a jerkhole named August Masters from murdering Russia. A few minutes after Kyle's noble but extraneous martyrdom, Valkyrie was shot in the back by Master's lone surviving henchman and appeared to die as well. Grief-stricken, the surviving defenders hurried home to New York to host an impromptu memorial service honoring their beloved non-teammate and also Kyle. After a small but pyrotechnically impressive funeral, Valkyrie's ghost showed up to inform the gang to cheer up because the seemingly slain sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger was only mostly dead. Hooray! Ghost Val explained that the reason for her partial aliveness 
was that the body she got murdered in was not her original body, but rather one that had been commandeered on her behalf from a woman named Barbara Norris. Barbara Norris was... a whole thing. See... An indeterminate but seemingly very significant amount of comic book time ago, Barbara had been driven sorcerously bonkers by a set of circumstances involving cults, elder gods, time travel, and Dr. Stephen Strange's fundamental inability to understand the concept of consent. Soon after Barbara had been driven mystically mad, she ran afoul of a more the Enchantress who had stolen the soul of a Valkyrie warrior named Brunhilde and been using it for pranks. Amora stuffed Brunhilde's soul into Babs's body, which resulted in the defender we know as Valkyrie. For a while, Babs' soul was shunted off into a corner of her body's attic, but eventually it got loose and moved into Brunhilde's vacant body in Asgard. Then she started palling around with Olerus, the social climbing Norse god of biathlons who dressed like a street shark and was trying to take over from Hela as the new god of death. With the defender's help, Hela managed to thwart Olerus's plan, and he and Babs were sent to the realm of Niflheim for an eternity of torment. Ghostfowl reminded her non-teammates of all this, then asked if they could go to Niflheim for her and get her old body out of storage so that she could stop being dead. Before the gang had a chance to respond, Amora the Enchantress teleported in out of nowhere, yoinked Val's soul, stuffed it into a sword, and informed the defenders that she had already swiped Val's body and hidden it in a secret location. You see, recently Amora had been hooking up with an entity called the Lord of Love who was basically the off-brand Marvel Universe version of Jesus. She was worried that Halloween store Jesus would find out that she was all evil and stuff, so she decided she needed a mystical MacGuffin called the Rose of Purity to cosmically restore her soul to factory showroom condition. The only problem was, the Rose was on a far-off dangerous planet, so she ordered the Defenders to go get it for her. If they did, she would put Val back in her old body. If they didn't, she would blow the body up or something. Hellcat, Hulk, Namor, and Son of Satan immediately agreed to do as they were told. Steve, Beast, Gargoyle, and Spider-Man, who had been hanging around after the funeral, objected on the grounds that if Val got back into her OG body, Babs's soul would be ejected and die, and it wasn't right to murder her to save Val. From inside her sword, Ghost Val agreed with Team Steve that sacrificing Barbara was wrong, despite having basically asked them to do just that a few minutes ago. But Team Hellcat was intent on saving their friend at any cost. Patsy grabbed the sword Ghost Val was in, and she, Hulk, Namor, and Damon embarked on their quest. The Enchantress teleported Team Patsy to the distant planet the Rose of Purity called home, then went back to her fortress to make out with I Can't Believe It's Not Jesus. Patsy and her pals made a beeline for the rose and were about to chop it down, but then they met a giant blue alien and his pretty crimson girlfriend. We never learned the name of these aliens because the defenders are rude as fuck and never asked, but Corey and I called them Gary and Scarlet. Gary and Scarlet only loved four things, dancing, each other, the rose of purity, and everything. As they danced around, Scarlet mentioned that they used to be real assholes until the rose made them happy and nice. Patsy was about to chop down the rose anyway, but at the last second she changed her mind and couldn't go through with it. Amora's disembodied head appeared in the sky, yelled at everyone, and told them that they were stuck on that planet forever now, and she was going to explode Val's body. Inside her hidden stronghold, a furious Amora fired a mystical blast at Val's body, intent on fulfilling her threat. But before the sorceress bolt reached its target, it was deflected by a sorceress shield. Team Steve was on the scene. Hooray! It turned out that Ursat's Jesus had figured out that Amora was a dick and had psychically texted Steve their location so that he could rescue Val. 
Amora was hurt and betrayed, but legally dissimilar Jesus told her that she sucked, and he was going to yoink Barbara's soul out of Val's body and fuck off forever with it into the cosmic bone zone. Then, he yoinked Barbara's soul out of Val's body and fucked off with it forever into the cosmic bone zone. Bye, Halloween store Jesus! Bye, Barbara Norris's soul! Sorry about your total lack of agency! Incandescent with rage, the Enchantress began to attack Steve, but from behind, an angry voice called out for vengeance. Because as soon as Barbara Norris had vacated Val's body, Valkyrie's soul had rushed across the universe to fill the void. Now, for the first time in over a millennium, Valkyrie's soul was back in Valkyrie's body. And boy, was it pissed. Gadzooks! What will Valkyrie do now that she's regained bodily autonomy? Is it possible for Valkyrie's backstory to get any more complicated? And have we seen the last of Big Blue Gary and Scarlet? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so yell at her dad. Not only possible, but in a sense, inevitable. And no. They were briefly cited and finally given names in a canonical reference guide that came out 30 years later. Hooray? Valkyrie is like, Hey Amora, we used to be friends, but then you stole my soul and used it for pranks for a thousand years. Fuck you! Then Enchantress does that thing where she's like, Yeah, well if you're mad at me, then I'm mad at you for being mad at me. Not a great look, Amora. I mean... Stealing someone's soul and hiding their body from them for a millennium isn't very nice either, but the reciprocal anger thing hits a little closer to home. It's kind of like how when you see someone in a movie get hit with a frying pan, it makes you wince less than seeing them get a paper cut. Ugh, paper cuts. Amora and Val square off against one another. Steve is like, Um, so do you want me to magic her or anything? I'm very good at magic. Val is like, no, this is between me and her. Just set up some kind of mystical thunderdome around us so that she can't escape. So Steve uses the Crimson Bands of Ciderac to zap up a mystical barrier around the antagonistic Asgardians. He's like, there you go, one thunderdome. But let me know if you change your mind and want me to blast Amora for you. After all, I am a master blaster. Huh? I mean, I practically run Bottertown, am I right? Oh, Steve. That movie won't come out for another three years, so no one's gonna get that reference. Besides, Auntie Entity really ran Bartertown. Master Blaster just held it hostage with his energy embargoes. Anyway, putting Bartertown regional politics aside for the time being, Amora isn't too stoked about the idea of a fair fight, so she sends a bunch of harpies to attack the defenders and bust down the Thunderdome for her. Wait a minute, I thought harpies were from Greek mythology, not Norse. Well, regardless of their cultural origin, the winged monsters attack our heroes. One of them biffs Steve on the back of the head with a mace. Beast is like, aren't harpies from Greek mythology, not Norse? I know, right? Inside the Thunderdome, Amora is kind of freaked out. Now that she's back in her original body, Valkyrie is like ten times stronger than she used to be, which was already pretty darn strong. The reunification of her body and spirit also brought with it a flood of memories of her hundreds of years as a warrior, which results in a much more aggressive Valkyrie than the one to which we've grown accustomed. 
The only reason the Enchantress hasn't been squashed like a pancake yet is that Val is still adjusting to her newly restored might. The Enchantress tries to take advantage of her foe's temporary lack of coordination by making the bricks of her castle fall on her, but Val easily avoids the debris. In an act of desperation, Amora casts a spell which starts to turn Val into a tree. Huh, you'd think she might have led with that. Outside of the dome, the rest of the defenders aren't doing much better. I mean, they aren't getting turned into trees, but they're getting smacked around pretty good. Isaac is like, Say, fellas, my nonsensical demonic powers are telling me that there's something kooky about these bird ladies. Steve is like, hmm, and does a spell. Suddenly, all the monstrous bird women are turned into regular Asgardian women. Turns out, they'd been transformed by one of the Enchantress's spells. And speaking of ladies being transformed by one of Amora's spells, Valkyrie isn't doing so great. Her legs have now been changed into a tree trunk, which has started to take root in the ground. As you might imagine, this is a significant hindrance to her mobility. It's one of the main reasons no tree has ever been selected in the first round of the NFL draft. Fortunately, Amora's previous attempt to make a castle fall on Val's head unearthed a familiar item which has landed near the unhappily arboreal Asgardian. It is the Globe of Souls, a device that I don't recognize but Valkyrie sure does, because it's the magic amulet in which Amora had imprisoned her disembodied soul for a thousand years. Val lobs the globe at the Enchantress, and Amora's soul is sucked into it like it was a dang pokeball. Hooray! Val looks down at Amora's now soulless husk of a body, and is like, Fuck you and your stupid fucking face, Enchantress! Vengeance is mine! When Steve and the others hear that, they figure it's a pretty safe assumption that the battle's over. So Steve takes down the barrier, and they go congratulate Valkyrie on her victory. Beast sees Amora's lifeless body, and is like, So, um, did you, you know, murder her? Val is like, No, although... Nah, it's meaner to just keep her alive in there. She's gonna hate that. Steve figures now is as good a time as any to teleport the rest of the gang back from Gary and Scarlet's planet. He waggles his fingers and says some nonsense. A few seconds later, Patsy appears holding Valkyrie's magic sword in her hand. Steve is like, Hmm, that's odd. Could have sworn there are more defenders than that. Patsy, didn't you have two pointy-eared men and a green person with you? Patsy's like, yeah, Hulk, Damon, and Namor were right next to me a second ago. Why didn't you teleport them here, too? Steve is like, mm, You must have misplaced them. Careless of you. Oh well, I'm sure they'll be fine. You'll notice that unlike your squadron, Team Steve now has more defenders than it started out with. Advantage, Steve! Patsy is overjoyed to see that Valkyrie is all the way alive again, and rushes in to give her a hug. She's like, Val, it's so good to see you. Val kind of brushes her aside and is like, Patsy, it's so good to see that thou hast brought me my sword back. Thanks. Well, now that I've got my sword and my body, I've got to go have a little chat with Odin. Thou ought to head home. I'll catch up with you later. The gang is a little off-put, both by Valkyrie's brusque manner and her Elizabethan speech patterns. But... Having each died at least once themselves, they know how taxing it can be, and cut her some slack. 
Steve teleports them all back to the Sanctum Sanctimonious, leaving Val in Asgard as she had requested. Once her teammates are gone, Valkyrie heads over to the throne room of Odin the Allfather. Odin is surprised to see her, and is like, Oh, uh, hey, Brunhilde. Long time no see. So, what's up? Only, you know, he says it in that quasi-Elizabethan dialect that all the ancient Norse gods talk in for some reason. Just for clarification, Valkyrie's been talking like that a lot more ever since she got back in her old body. I'm just not writing most of her speech that way, because it's a pain in the ass. Val is like, Hey, all father. so quick question, and then I'll get out of your hair for another thousand years, but why hast thou forsaken me? Odin is sad, but not surprised by this question slash accusation, and immediately goes on the defensive. He's like, Oh, uh, well, you see, the, the thing is, I, I thought you had forsaken me. Yeah, that's it. See, I had created you and the rest of the Valkyrior so that you could bring me the souls of dead warriors to serve in my army. And you guys were all awesome, and I loved you all so much. But you were the oldest, and I liked you best. Don't tell your sisters. But then, I told you not to help this one mortal lady, and what did you do? You went and helped that mortal lady. Oh, I was so steamed. So I took away all your powers and made you go live on Midgard. Asterisk Earth. Only then, you hooked up with Thor, who I'd also stripped of his powers and sent to Earth because that's kind of my go-to parenting move. And that pissed me off even more. Not because you guys are brother and sister. I mean, we're gods, so we just gotta roll that way. Plus, I'm, you know, the all-father, and if I'm everyone's father, that means that everyone's kind of brother and sister. Which is kind of beautiful, but also kind of gross. Anyway, where was I? Oh yeah, I was mad at you and Thor for defying me, but then I got over it, so I brought you back home to Asgard and erased your memories so that you wouldn't be mad at me for punishing you. And you weren't, which was great for me. For a while. But then these super powerful giant space robot gods called the Celestials showed up and made me promise to never interfere with Midgard, asterisk Earth, anymore. So I disbanded the Valkyrior because your whole job was to grab souls of dead warriors on Midgard, asterisk Earth, and bring them up here, and that kind of counts as interfering. At least I thought it might, and these space robots were like crazy powerful, so I didn't want to risk it. But you really loved your job, and were pissed off at me for firing you. Especially because I didn't tell you why. Anyway, that was a thousand years ago, and it was the last time I saw you. Oh, I'm sorry, what was the question again? I was rambling, wasn't I? Yes! Yes, you were! And you were doing it in an Elizabethan dialect, which was super annoying. Val is like, I asked why you had forsaken me, and that's your answer. Because I was miffed when you no-cause fired me without notice? What about the thousand years since then? Didn't you wonder where I was? Did you even look for me? Odin is like, Well, you see, Asgard's a pretty big place. I figured you were probably around somewhere. And I was pretty preoccupied worrying about those giant space robots. They were so big. Val is like, Uh-huh. And you... Didn't hear about how 105 issues ago my soul got stuffed into a mortal body on Midgard, asterisk Earth, and I've been running around doing superhero stuff ever since? Odin is like, well, yes, I did hear about that. 
Oh, and as soon as I did, well, maybe not as soon as I did, there were still those giant space robots, but as soon as I was sure they weren't coming back, I sent you a cosmic text message ordering you to come home and start working at your old job again. And you said no! Remember? That was like ten issues ago. Val is like, of course I remember, and of course I said no. One, I was still stuck in a mortal body, which was embarrassing, and B, I had been in prison for a thousand years during which you didn't even bother looking for me because, if I may paraphrase, Asgard is a pretty big place. I was pissed. Odin gets real quiet for a second and then it's like, Yeah, I kind of goofed, didn't I? I? I know it won't make up for it, but if you tell me who imprisoned you, I'll punish them real good. You remember that thing I did to Loki with the sewed up mouth and the snake acid? It'll be like that, only way worse. Maybe something with bees. Been really into bees lately. Val is like, don't bother. It was a more the Enchantress, and I already sealed her soul in this weird rock. <laughs> She's gonna hate that. Odin is like, had a girl, just like your old man. Val is like, don't you give me that shit, I'm still pissed at you. Odin's like, oh right, the whole forsaking for a thousand years thing. Well, there's nothing I can do about that now, but... I feel bad about it. Forgive me. He reaches out for a handshake. Val brushes aside the handshake and goes in for a hug. But as she hugs Odin, she's like, No, I don't forgive you. And I don't know that I ever will. But I do love you. And I accept that you are who you are. And that's just gonna have to be enough for now. After a few seconds, she breaks the embrace and leaves the throne room. Odin watches her leave with a tear in his eye and thinks to himself, I'm kind of a shitty dad, aren't I? Yes, Odin. Yes, you are. Well, Odin and Valkyrie are exploring their less-than-ideal family dynamic, Namor, Hulk, and the Son of Satan are helplessly careening around one of those weirdo planes-between-dimensions that are filled with random geometric shapes and celestial bodies. The good news is, they don't run afoul of any capybara youth pastors. The bad news is, they can't control where they're going. Eventually, a portal opens directly in front of them. They rush through it and end up tumbling through the air, eventually all falling on their butts onto a grassy hillside. A familiar-looking voice gently mocks them. The heroes stare up in disbelief. Just who is this mysterious individual whose very appearance shocks our heroes to their respective cores? An honest politician? A female comic book character who has some modicum of agency? The Spanish Inquisition? We won't find out until the final panel of this comic. Meanwhile, back in New York, Patsy's long-suffering housekeeper, Dolly Donahue, is having tea and weirdly thin donuts with Beast's girlfriend, Vera Cantor. Vera is saying how unsettling it is to suddenly find herself hanging out with a bunch of weird superheroes. Dolly is like, Oh, they're not that weird. But then Steve, Patsy, Beast, Spider-Man, and Gargoyle teleport into the room, and Dolly is forced to admit that they are indeed a bunch of dang weirdos. The gang gathers in the living room, and Dolly serves some coffee and some of those oddly shaped donuts. Steve makes everyone gather on one side of the room so that he can give a little speech. He's like, So remember how Damon, Hulk, and Namor are missing? I finally did, so now I'm going to go look for them. By myself, because I'm very brave and important, and not for any other reason. The gang is like, we're happy to go with you and help, 
Wouldn't you be more likely to find them sooner if you had some assistance? I mean, they might be in danger. Steve cuts them off and is like, I'm sorry, but I can't hear you over how brave and important I am. Goodbye. He steps through a portal and disappears. Once he's gone, Spider-Man is like, Yeah, I'm gonna get out of here too. Gargoyle is like, Oh, can I come with you? We could team up and have an oddly in-depth conversation about accepting death as a natural and inevitable part of existence. Spider-Man's like, Sure, why not? So the two heroes head over to Marvel Team-Up number 119 to do just that. Bye, Spider-Man! Bye, Gargoyle! Enjoy your oddly in-depth conversation about accepting death as a natural and inevitable part of existence! Beast turns to Patsy and is like, You wanna go get some Indian food with me and Vera? Patsy declines, so Vera and Beast head off without her. Bye, Beast and Vera! Have fun getting Indian food! Once they're gone, Dolly is like, Patsy. You're still bummed out about Kyle dying, aren't you? It's fine if you are. I don't know exactly how time works here in the Marvel Universe, but what was that, yesterday? Patsy is like, what? No way. Totally over it. I'm also totally over Val dying and coming back to life, Mom dying and trying to sell my soul to demons, and Satan showing up and telling me he's my dad. I mean, yeah, that stuff sucked, but most of it was probably, what, almost a week ago? I'm fine now. Look, I'll do some flips and stuff. Patsy does some flips and stuff, so I guess she's over it. Neat. Then she starts crying. Darn. Guess she's not over it. Dolly's like, There, there. You know what I bet'll cheer you up? Looking through some old photo albums. Dolly digs out the family photos and is like, Look, there you are as a little girl, hanging out with your mom, who tried to sell your soul to demons, and your dad, who walked out on the family and may or may not have been the literal devil. See how happy the three of you looked? For some reason, this little stroll down memory lane does little to raise Patsy's spirits. Weird. Dolly's like, Well, it's no use moping about things. If you're that bummed out about it, just track down your missing dad and ask him whether he's Satan. Patsy agrees that that's probably a good idea, and goes to bed, promising to start looking for her possibly diabolical, but almost certainly deadbeat dad, first thing in the morning. But once Dolly goes to bed, Patsy decides her dad quest can wait no longer, and heads off into the night. Bye, Patsy! Hope your dad's not the devil! Meanwhile, Steve is bopping around in one of those cosmic plane-between-dimension places, like the one Hulk, Damon, and Namor were briefly stuck in. Steve thinks to himself that it probably would have been a good idea to bring some other heroes with him, but he wanted to be alone, because he's bummed out that Clea left him and moved back to her home in the Dark Dimension. She did? Good for her! Steve is mopily floating around when a portal opens directly in front of him. Hmm, sounds familiar. Steve tumbles through the portal and falls on his ass on a grassy hillside. Hooray! The supercilious sorcerer looks up and is stunned to find not only the trio of defenders he had been searching for, but a fourth defender as well. For standing alongside Hulk, son of Satan, and the Submariner, is a person wearing a familiar but slightly modified version of a winged costume with a face-covering feathered mask and a golden bird-shaped crest on his chest. It appears that Nighthawk is back. To be continued.
And joining me once again, again, is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I am happy to be back here with you in the comic book room, with you at the controls of the technology. Yeah, uh, I mean, I haven't always been the uh, most <laughs> trustworthy shepherd of that in the past, but... Get a better uh, track record than I do. Yeah, slightly. Well, I'm glad to have you here, too. Speaking of technology problems, I'm sorry it's so cold. That's okay. You texted me earlier, and I'm wearing four layers. Excellent. Our furnace is broken. Lisa is in the process of trying to fix it because she is much better at that sort of thing than I am. A fact that I know, but there is part of me that still just wants to look at it and think, oh, I could probably fix that. And I can't. But I looked up like, hey, your furnace isn't working. What should you do? Mm -hmm. And so change your filters. We change our filters pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. It said, turn it off and on again. It's like one ahead of you. That's my go-to technological fix for pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. And it said, take apart the vent and see that there's nothing obstructing it. Mm -hmm. So I found there was a vent on the side of our furnace that I'd never seen before. Like our furnace that's in the garage. Mm -hmm. And I unscrewed the vent and I pulled it out. And duct taped to the back of it was a 1970s cereal box. What? Yeah, just the back of the box, like the cardboard from the box of a box of shredded wheat from the 70s or 80s. So I just put it back. But like why it was there to prevent the airflow through the filter or through the vent? I don't know. What am I, a fucking mechanic? Well, I... That has clearly been there longer than the furnace hasn't been working, so that wasn't what the issue was. And I don't know what any of it does. I just operate under the assumption that anyone who has done some work on anything knows what they were doing more than I do. So, yeah, I just put it back. I don't know if that's a load-bearing part of a cereal box. Oh, man. That could be the only thing that was keeping it working. So, yeah, I don't know why I take things apart and look at them when... I really will just always assume, like, oh, it looks like somebody tried to do something. I will assume that was the right thing to do, because I don't fucking know. Wow. Did you consider that cereal box part may have a collectible value? No, I didn't. Might want to. I'll look into it, but I mean, unless it's worth more than the cost of a new furnace. I mean, for all I know, that's the only thing holding it together. Only one way to find out, my friend. Maybe the problem is that the back of that cereal box is only good for 40 years. And so now I need to change it out for a new old cereal box. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much all I know about home repair. So uh, you want to talk about a comic book? Yeah, let's jump on in. So Corey, once again, what did you think of this comic book? Gosh. I feel like I said it perfectly last time, Mm. so it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, this whole episode's gonna just be a a shadow on the cave wall of the platonic archetype of a brilliant podcast that we did last time. That's still pretty good. (laughs) It's gonna be a bad shadow. Oh, okay, (laughs) Um, bad shadow. It doesn't have the best light source. Uh Uh-huh. Looks like a gremlin. Right. It's a it's a shadow on the cave wall, but there's like a hat rack that makes it look like a creepy old man. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're going for this episode. All right. So, yeah, keeping that in mind, I guess 
a little bit par for the course with my comments on a lot of what we've been reading in, in both series lately, that it is very densely packed with exposition and backstory and tons of dialogue, and yet still pretty enjoyable. Like, it, it kept you moving through the story, and um, wow, really did a job of explaining Fal's situation. It did. I feel like it is incredibly unfair, appropriate, but incredibly unfair that right now we are tackling both Valkyrie's complicated backstory and the various retcons it has suffered from, and Wonder Girl's complicated backstory and the various retcons it has suffered from. Unfair to us. Yes. It's a lot. It's an awful lot. I will say, rereading it again for this week's episode... I think I liked this issue better than I did the first time. The first time that I read it, I definitely got hung up about a quarter of the way through the issue. There is a really dense section of exposition that is explaining some retcons to the Valkyrie's character in light of her relationship with Odin that happened in Thor comics a little bit before that. It's really just one page, but it is so densely packed, and the exposition is all done in the fake Elizabethan talk, and it was like somebody just opened up a panel in the back of my mind and dumped shredded weed all over it. My brain just shut down and stopped working. Wow. Where was the back of that cereal box to prevent that mess from happening? Exactly! Ah. But once I got over that hurdle... The rest of the book I really, really liked. It really is just that one stumbling bucket. It set up a kind of barrier of entry for me getting invested in the comic book because it just kind of broke my brain. That section is where Valkyrie is talking with Odin. Mm -hmm. She has a talk with him that I really like the takeaway from. I found that really moving and really rare to see in a comic book. The fact that she confronts her father figure, and the book isn't, like, yelling at her to forgive and forget. It's not doing the, you know what, life's too short, just put it behind you type of thing. She doesn't forgive, and she doesn't forget, but she still is like, you know what, you fucked up real bad, and I don't accept your apology, but I do still love you, and I will accept that you are who you are, and that I do love the flawed person that you are, but not everything is fixed. And I feel like it hit that tone really, really well in a way that you rarely see. Yeah, it was um, strangely nuanced for this media. And also on the Odin side, too, right? Like, we're used to seeing these powerful figures either, you know, seeing the light mm -hmm. and be like, oh my gosh, you're right. I was such a jerk. Or just be like, nope, everything's fine. You're wrong. <laughs> well, and he, he was, he kind of split the difference. He tried to do both and then was just like, oh shit, I fucked up. <laughs> right. Which I thought was actually, I don't know, he's a god and all, but that was pretty human, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I did make a pretty big mistake when I was rereading this because it references the issues of Thor in which there is a very complicated backstory that Valkyrie has with Thor and Odin, and mm -hmm. that's one of the things that Odin is apologizing for. I went and read a couple of those, and they are written by Roy Thomas. They came out in 1980. And you know how densely packed and difficult to navigate that one-page section of the comic was? Mm -hmm. The whole issue is like that. Oh, dear. And it's all like flashback and exposition for like eight issues. 
Wow, that sounds like a lot. It was. I didn't read all of it. I read a couple of issues of it, though, and it was like, oh, no. It was like Roy Thomas caught me smoking some Norse mythology and was like, all right, well, now you're going to smoke the whole pack. Oh, boy. Yeah, it was weird. It's a story arc where Thor is having a conversation with his dad's disembodied eyeball. Okay. And the eyeball is explaining to him about different lives that he used to live before the one that he remembers. Mm -hmm. And from there, it gets weird. Dang. So the only window that we get into that all in this issue is Thor and Val hooked up and that pissed Odin off. So he took their god powers away for a while, but then he gave them back. Yeah. But the context that that happened in was first... Before all of the Marvel Asgard stuff, the more traditional Norse mythology stuff happened, and there was a Ragnarok on a different Asgard. Mm. And then at the end of that Ragnarok, Asgard exploded into a ball of fire, which was the star that guided the three kings to the baby Jesus. (laughs) Wow. And then (laughs) Thor was reincarnated as Siegfried. The lion guy? No, the other one. The one from Wagner's Ring Cycle. And then so he lived out all of that adventure, and that was where he met Valkyrie, and they fell in love when they both thought they were human because Odin had fucked with them for some reason. It's like Roy Thomas tried to do a Forrest Gump of Thor, where he's like, oh, all the important moments in Norse history? He was there for those and was the protagonist of them. But he doesn't remember any of it. And so here's his dad's severed eyeball telling him all this shit. And also there's baby Jesus. Gotta have baby Jesus. Oh, you gotta get him in there. I mean, for sweeps week, if nothing else. If nothing else. So thank you for taking the uh, bullet Yeah. for the team on that. I don't feel so bad about reading one densely packed issue that I mostly liked. Me either. I will say, as opposed to previous issues of The Defenders recently, there is only one inker on this. It is Joe Sinnott inking Don Perlin's pencils, and the book looks fucking gorgeous. It sure does. The facial expressions are rendered very expressively. Valkyrie's sometimes to the point of mania, but it's consistent throughout the book. And it has a consistent look, and it's a good look. I love Joe Sinnott's art, and, I mean, we had been speculating if that was what looked off about the previous issues, and I feel like this book kind of confirms that that was what was off about the previous issues, that it was rushed and you had too many cooks stirring the art pot. Yep. And uh, in this, you don't get that, and it's much better. I mentioned that Val is sometimes drawn with perhaps a exaggerated mania to her expressions. There are a number of panels in which she has like tiny little pupils in her eyeballs that really does make her have a crazed look on her face where I'm not sure that is the intention in the writing. It looks kind of the way that they used to draw Barbara Norris. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that is the intention behind it. But there is definitely a personality change in Valkyrie that is noted by pretty much everybody. What'd you think of that? I thought I'm interested to see where they take it. I feel on one hand, I'll miss the old Val, but also, 
hey, if you've been in some weird not-quite-yourself-for-a-thousand-years situation and get all your memories back and get to try and kill the person that puts you there, that's got to do something. Yeah, I mean... It seemed reasonable. The Val that we've seen so far is based on her experiences of the last... I don't know how much comic book time has passed since Defenders number four. The past 105 issues of The Defenders. But that's maybe a couple months. Maybe a couple years. Maybe a couple weeks. Tough to tell. Either way, it's definitely not the thousand plus years of experience that she just had dumped into her memory banks all at once. So it makes sense that she would have a different personality now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's too much. And I guess the other thing about it too is boy the barbara norris effect just to describe the utter like removal of any agency from any character especially yeah. female character is just doubled down on in the last issue and kind of reminded of that in this issue with val's personality asserting itself so forcibly yeah but at least in this it's val's personality asserting itself over val she's not overwriting another character mm -hmm. but yeah it just made me think of what a bummer for oh, right. Barbara Norris. Yeah, we do get some flashbacks to the last issue, just like in a summing up kind of way. And those were interesting. We do see a little bit of the Barbara Norris story in there. We also see a very odd shot of Enchantress explaining her relationship to the Lord of Light. I hadn't caught this the first time. Really looks like she's going down on him there. Huh. Yeah, you could read it that way. And I did. Mm-hmm. The thought crossed my mind, but I just assumed that they were trying to more so convey a subservience, like, oh, I need to go get my pure on so we can oh, be together. right, right, right. Go get that rose. So we get that flashback scene. The other thing that we get in that flashback scene is, sadly, the only image in this comic of Big Blue Gary and Scarlet. It's just done in a little flashback. I was hoping we would get to see more of their adventures on their desolate homeland with the rose of purity yep. but we don't i did have a listener friend of the show eric engelhard write in and let me know that big blue gary and scarlet did get named eventually but not until 2012 and they didn't have another adventure appearance in the book but they did show up in defenders strange heroes which is like a DC who's who type thing, but just for the Defenders. Oh, okay. They didn't get their own entries, but in the Rose of Purity entry, which showed up there, it mentions that they are named Zaffer. That's Big Blue Gary. Oh. And Scarlet's name is Damask. Oh. Yeah. Like a Damask rose. Oh, that makes sense. Mm. I wonder if Zaffir is a kind of rose, too. Oh, maybe. I was just thinking, like, she was Damask, like, somebody stop me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yours probably makes more sense. Everybody gotta wear Damask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would be the version of the mask that was from Chicago. Damask. <laughs> Damask. Well, thanks, Eric. That's good to know. I guess. I'm still gonna call him Big Blue Gary and Scarlet. BBG. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we talked a little bit about Val's interactions with her father figure, but she's not the only character in this comic who is having some pretty significant issues with their dad. Let's talk about Patsy's journey in this. What did you think of that? I liked it for the most part. There was, I think, a little trouble with it, but this idea that she, if she chooses, can go out and uh, find dad, be he 
Satan or otherwise, <laughs> and uh, confront him and take a little solo road trip. Yeah, I like the idea of her going on a little road trip. I generally like the character Dolly Donahue a little bit better than I do in this. Being like her grief counseling? Yeah, no, she straight up has attended the Donna Troy School of Grief Counseling. I'm going to look at these sad pictures from your childhood and then say you have a big butt and you need to get off it and go find your dad, okay? <laughs> have another donut. Yeah. That's what, that's what she says. Pretty much. First of all, weird that she said that Patsy needed to get off her fat duff. I think that's a metaphorically fat duff that she was referring to. No, she's quite athletic. But regardless, like, her best friend has died. Also, Kyle died. And yeah, her best friend came back, but... Val's different. But yeah, Val's different now. Like, Patsy has been through a lot recently. And Dolly just being like, well, you know what you need to do? You need to track down your dad who might be Satan. And even if he isn't Satan, he abandoned you. Yeah, go give him a piece of your mind. Right now. Also, you know what'll cheer you up? Let's look at pictures of your dad who definitely abandoned you and may have done that because he's the devil. Oh, and also your mom. Remember, she was nice. Oh, wait, no, she wasn't. That's right. She sold you to the devil. Right. So, I mean, at that point, getting out the old family scrapbook is probably not going to be the most, I don't know, calming experience for somebody who's going through a lot of grief. Yeah, no, I think uh, Dolly was a little, um, I don't know if manipulative is the right word, but she had it in her head that this course of action is what is going to to cure this person I care about of Mm -hmm. their sadness, which is to go confront stuff. And so I'm going to show them all these painful memories to get them riled up so that they're motivated to go confront that stuff. And it's a pretty heavy-handed way to get somebody to try and address stuff. Do you think maybe she was just trying to get Patsy out of the house because she was embarrassed at the weird donuts she had made? Oh, yeah, we can talk about those donuts. I don't think she made them. I think that they are... The ones that you would get at a, you know, a Safeway or an Albertsons or whatever your grocery store is, those Entenmann's. They don't look... Like factory donuts? They don't look like even factory donuts. They look like big hoops. They look like onion rings. Do you think maybe they are onion rings? Onion rings and coffee doesn't sound great. It doesn't sound great to me either. But maybe she thought like, oh, these were just supposed to be decorative. I didn't think anyone's going to eat these donuts, but... Oh, I better get Patsy out of here. I'm embarrassed about these donuts. Because, let's take a look at these donuts. They do look more onion ringy than donuty. Yeah. Maybe Maybe they're sweet onion rings. Like a donut batter on an onion. Like a a fritter type of thing? Might not be bad, actually. You're kind of talking about Onions have a little bit of natural sweetness. Yeah, especially if you get like a... Walla Walla. Walla Walla sweet onion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or uh, just a whole Cipollini. Fuck it. Yeah. Throw that in there. Why not? Fry it up. Okay, you're convincing me. I like it. Dolly, you have nothing to be embarrassed about. Be nicer to Hellcat. And also, make with the onion donut recipe. Yeah. You could have sweet ones and savory ones. I think Dolly's really onto something here. Could be. She's winning me back. All right. So when Dolly said, get off your fat duff mm-hmm. and go rescue your dad, it's a shitty thing to say. Sure. It also totally reminded me of something that I saw on the reality show Hogan Knows Best, which was Hulk Hogan's reality show that he had back before everyone knew what a pile of racist human garbage he was. Mm -hmm. And those editors must have been busy making him. Did he? How did he come across, I guess? Not great, but not horrifically racist. Okay. 
I mean, at no time during that show did he have sex with his friend's wife and say, but then say a bunch of racist shit immediately after on camera. Oh, jeez. But what he did say to his daughter when she was eating a cookie was, oh, you better not do that. You're in training. And she's like, it's just one. And he goes, well, you know what they say? One becomes two, two becomes four. Then you got a big back door. Um... So that's fucked up in a couple of ways. First of all, his daughter, you shouldn't be body shaming your daughter regardless. And she was in fine shape. And second of all, a big back door that's... wouldn't be your butt. No, that's the butthole. It would be your butthole. Yeah. So what was in those cookies? Just like all 100% like Olestra. Yeah. <laughs> Just deep fried breaded Olestra. Oh. And uh, like a sugar alcohol of some sort, like xylitol. Yeah. And I don't know, some kind of a burrowing agent. <laughs> a burrowing agent? Is yeah, that a like food a thing? No, I mean like a mole. Just like chopped up and mixed with the Olestra and I don't. I don't know. I don't know what kind of butthole expanding cookies Hulk Hogan was feeding his family. But it seems like it was a bad idea. Don't eat four of them. No, definitely don't eat four. Probably and not even one. Why do you have those cookies? He's the worst. He really is. Okay, we got one good food idea out of this show. Right. <laughs> one that definitely Terrible. avoid. Yeah. Do not eat cookies at Hulk Hogan's house ever. Just any of them. Any kind that he may have. Right. Because you don't know. No. It could be a Trojan cookie. Could be fine. Could not be worth... a mildly disappointing cookie, like a Milano. Yeah. But it could also be a big backdoor cookie. <laughs> yeah. Could be just deep fried Alastra. You never know. Dang. Milanos are mildly disappointing. I'll still eat them, but really it's just for nostalgia. Begrudgingly. Yeah. When I found out that Pepperidge Farms could soft-bake their cookies, I felt betrayed that they hadn't soft-baked all of I, their I cookies. I saw your post about that from like 10 years ago. Yeah, well, it, it's as fresh in my mind now as it was then. So there were a couple of little moments in the book that were pretty fun that I want to take a look at. When Steve is complying with Val's request that he seal off the field of battle for her and Enchantress so that no one can interfere. Thunderdome. Yeah, he sets up a little uh, pink spiderweb thunderdome over them, mm -hmm. which is nice. You do have to question how effective it is because then when the harpies start moving towards it, he's immediately like, no, they'll interfere with the battle. So is it just made out of colored light? Maybe it's like you can get in, but you can't get out. That would make sense. And that would actually be in keeping with his proclivity for interfering in fights that he has promised not to interfere in because we saw him do that before with son of satan and his dad mm -hmm. it would also maybe explain if he thought oh i fucked up and i should have made it both that you can't get into it and you can't get out of it why when he first makes them it looks like in that pink webbing the word crap is written yeah i didn't notice that at, at first i i don't know i i see it now sort of but, like, did it just jump out at you? It really did. Huh. It was like a word jumble thing. Hmm. I mean, you, I think you, you can't unsee it, can you? Once you know it's there. I mean, I guess it could it's... say carp, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. 
the font is very much of a like a, a modern I don't know what subgenre of metal it is, but you know what I mean? Metal it's band like, flyer where you can't really read the words very well. Mm-hmm. But it's like really aggressive and sketchy. Uh-huh. It has that feel to it, and I feel like that hadn't been invented yet. I think that had been 82? I think that's when it got invented. No. This might be the Genesis. No, I think I think that's a 90s font. Really? Yeah. You would actually probably know that better than me. I saw a lot of flyers. Mm. <laughs> Used to hang them up on telephone poles. Yeah? Uh-huh. Did you get paid for that or just, you know, for Oh, fun? no, my friends got paid. I just hung out with them. They got five cents a flyer. Oh, man, we, we always put up our own flyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have paid some kid five cents a pop. I was a fool. Well? I had to buy my own staple hammer. So you're kind of paying yourself five cents an hour. It's not a good wage. Not an hour. You probably did more than one <laughs> <Yeah>. an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a staple hammer now, and that's pretty fun. Yeah, those are great. All right. So, yeah, I don't think that was on purpose. Okay, I do. I think you don't like Doctor Strange all that much. I think I think the word crap is funny. And that, too. We also learn in this, almost as an aside, that Clea has dumped Steve and returned to her home dimension. What do you think of that development? I think about time. You see Steve bumming about it and on page 21 the first thing he says is clea has left me both as a disciple and a lover and it's like dude you have had that order wrong the whole fucking time and that's probably part of yeah the deal yeah it's a it's a creepy slash relationship first of all disciple slash lover but also if you are gonna have them both don't put disciple first i mostly am happy for clea i'm bummed for us that I think this does mean that we're not going to get her as a full-time defender. And that is a concept that has been flirted with a lot over the years by a number of different writers. But if we aren't going to get it, it is at least nice to have an explanation of why. And if they aren't going to use the character, I want the explanation that she's off doing her own thing. So, yeah, good for her. But, uh, sorry to see her go. Totally. I mean, her own home dimension is richer for it, and, Mm -hmm. uh... The sad side effect for us as the reader is now we get to watch Steve wallow in his own pity party. Yeah, well, he was going to be wallowing in something anyway. He does sort of rebound from it back to his old typical Steviness in the scene when they're all hanging out in um, Dolly's apartment. And uh, Steve is holding court in front of everybody and doing so in front of a large mirror, Mm -hmm. which only he can see his reflection in. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, a, it, of course that's what he's doing. Well, you know, they say when you're writing something, you need to write for an audience of one. Have a specific person in mind that you're talking to, and it helps you focus your narrative. I think it's pretty clear that Steve's audience of one is Steve. <laughs> and so having the mirror there is probably the only way he can make any speech. It probably makes it easier for him. I think what he's talking to other people, he just loses interest halfway if he doesn't imagine them being him. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he's also got everybody lined up against that wall. You know, he's like, you all sit over there, I have a speech to make. Uh Uh-huh, and there's not enough chairs, which is why Spidey has to make his own little, like, uh, sex swing hammock to sit in. I thought of it that, hmm, it's like one of those 70s chairs. That hangs from the ceiling. Wait, are those so all... naive, Corey? Oh no! <laughs> you have to rethink your whole child. There was those things were everywhere. <laughs> yeah, the seventies were a freaky time. What Corey. a time to be an adult. <laughs> that must have been. Sheesh. We'll never know. Either way, it is 
rude to make Spidey create his own sex swing hammock to sit in. Do you think that uh, Dolly's just going to leave it there? Well, if she does... Free swing. <laughs> no, because that's the thing about Spider-Man's oh, webbing. It dissolves after an hour. That's going to leave a nasty puddle on the floor. Just of sticky residue. <laughs> and it won't be earned. That's oh, the worst no. part. Oh. Jeez, that's inconsiderate then. It's inconsiderate of Spider-Man to do that pretty much everywhere he goes. And it's, you know, it's inconsiderate of Steve to make him do that by forcing him to uh, line up lecture style instead of having them sit around the coffee table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a bunch more to talk about, but uh, I think it'll probably all come up in the minutia. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into that? Yeah, just one last little bit that I, I couldn't figure out where it would land in the minutia, but I feel like uh, Beast was channeling a, a little bit of Hub in this issue because he called out a little bit of a mix-up in the mythology of like, hey, why is there a harpies in Norse mythology and drops a Edith Hamilton reference. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was nice. It was, it was nice. I, I always like seeing an Edith Hamilton reference dropped. And you also see him walk that back almost immediately in a way that I actually really enjoyed, where he says, although if they're attacking us, I guess that means they're not mythological anyway, so whatever. <sighs> yeah, that was an attempt to walk it back, but it makes no dang sense because they're in Asgard. I know. We also find out that they aren't actual harpies. They're women that Amora enchanted and turned into harpies. Mm-hmm. They're Asgardian women. But that doesn't really explain why they were there. It also definitely doesn't explain why they had snakes for hair, which I don't think the Greek harpies had either. That was like a Medusa thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was a Gorgon thing. So I guess the Enchantress was just sitting down with a nice cup of tea and an Edith Hamilton book. <laughs> like, right, just... I'll take one of these and one of those. And... Which, in a lot of ways, is kind of the Marvel Universe's approach to mythology anyway. Mm. I, I enjoyed it, like, kind of being poked at, though, or acknowledged or joked about. I enjoyed it, too. And I thought Beast overall was pretty fun in this. I liked when he went out for Indian food. Mm-hmm. Just uh, overall, he's been a pretty sweet addition to the team. Oh, yeah. I also just realized, and we did this the last time we recorded this episode, too. We should probably actually mention the fact that Kyle comes back from the dead, apparently. <laughs> I thought it was going to come up in sartorially speaking. I, I think it will. Definitely, because he does have a different outfit. But uh, (laughs) it is probably worth mentioning that one of the main characters of the book came back from the dead, apparently, at the end of this. Are we jerks? No. We're a goddamn delight, Corey. Well, it seems that way, but you're right. It it is. It is. It's like kind of a big deal, I guess. He's been a defender for a long time, and he's ostensibly back, or dimension adjacent back. Yeah, maybe it is probably worth noting that he does have a full face mask now, which could be anybody. Yeah, it's like he's wearing a trench coat and fedora. Corey, hmm. do you think that is a seven foot version of Godzilla? Um, no. All right, fair enough. Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? <laughs> We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like starting off with? Well, I guess I kind of teed it off before Rick's lovely song. Let's talk about clothes. 
Okay, sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion do you want to focus on? Let's just uh, start with Nighthawk's new duds. I think he's got a really dumb looking mask. I love it. I think he looks fucking badass. He looks like an anime character with a big square mouth who's just running around going, ah, all the time. Yeah, it's silly. Well, he's got a lot to be upset about. Honestly, I just think he looks cool. To me, it looks more like he's got a like a luchador mask on. Does that change your opinion of it if you think of it in that context? I do like those better, but the giant rectangle from below his nose to the top of his chin, to the sides of his cheeks, it's just too much of okay. a big rectangle. Okay, what if, and this would maybe play into him not being Kyle, what if that's a giant mustache? What if that's a giant bushy mustache? It does look like it might be. Oh, wow. He's got like a Groucho Marx hero thing. He had a mustache, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's like a eyes, <laughs> fancy eyes wide shut mask. Right, with a right. Giant he's, Groucho mustache. Yeah, he's got, he's got a mask on. Like maybe he's going to borrow Spidey's swing. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a, what are those dogs? Is it schnauzers that have the, like, look like they got a little beard mustache? Mm, you know what I mean? Otters. Otters got a giant otter mustache. <laughs> All right, that softens it into a comedic appreciation for me rather than just outright, like, I hate it. See, I like the costume. I like the big flared out mask that it's got on it. I like that the bird wings on his emblem extend upward into the wings on his back rather than an older versions of the costume we've seen. They turn into weird, creepy, like long wingspan hands that uh, go out onto his actual hands. I just think it's a it's a cool good look, and the fact that it might have a giant mustache as part of it just makes it better. Yeah, I agree with all that except the, uh, the mustache bit. I think that's just too goofy. Yeah, when I first saw it, I didn't read it as a mustache. I thought he was just wearing a full face mask that then had a... Uh... I didn't see it as, as an eyes wide shut mask initially, but now it is difficult to see it as something else. Mm-hmm. And that's Kyle's outfit. If it is Kyle. If it is Kyle, good point. The other outfit that we definitely have to talk about in this is Odin. What a hat. What an eye patch. It is a hell of a look. What a giant belt that has a big M on it. What do you think that M stands for? Hmm. What do you think Odin's middle name is? Marvin? Probably Marvin. It's a Norse name. Odin Marvin Allfather. (laughs) It's a cool look. I love his giant space hat. In general, I love the science fiction ancient Norse mix of Marvel's Asgard. And I like that Valkyrie's new outfit, which is reflective of one of her older outfits, seems to be more leaning in that direction of like, space warrior mm-hmm. slash mythological character rather than just the weird Madonna boob cones and just being pure medieval. Yeah, if nothing else, definitely more practical and probably better for cold weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because space is cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want metal boob cones in space. No. You don't freeze yourself. No, you don't want metal boob cones. It's no place to raise a kid. It's cold as hell. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily quite count as fashion, but we have uh, veered this category in the past in the direction of interior decor. And I think it is worth noting that 
Odin seems to be flanked by giant stylized masks of himself. Kind of like the Motley Crue Theater of Pain album cover where there's the tragedy and the comedy mask. Except for these have uh, giant mustaches on them. Yeah. Yeah, that's clearly what he's going for. He's got a black light switch built into his throne. <laughs> Just throw that baby on and put on some crew. Call it good. I inherited your old black velvet Motley Crue Theater I of thought, Pain poster. I thought that that was scary to you. It was. Oh. But I you thought... conquered your fear. I, no, I never conquered my the- fear. It continually freaked me out. But I had it up in my room for many years because oh, wow. uh, you were my older brother and I thought you were cool. Well, that's nice, but that poster is, is maybe suggests otherwise. It was a pretty cool poster. The texture was very pleasing. It was like literally velvety uh-huh. to the touch. I think one of the masks had like a bloody teardrop. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would be the the tragedy. Oh, you know. Yeah, crying blood like a James Bond villain. Bang! Home sweet home. Let's have ourselves a battle of the band names. Corey, what band names were you able to find in the text of this issue? I found three potentials. All right. Well, let's hear what they are. I also have three. Genre-wise, out of the three, I think I got two metals and a uh, maybe an electronic one. So let's start with the heavier music. I'm going to go with uh, Valkyrie's Vengeance. Ooh. Yeah. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think they're from, like, Italy or yeah. maybe Germany. I don't know, in the 80s. I think Italy. Because I think it's, like, them being really into, like, the Norse mythology thing works better if they're not from there. Oh, yeah. I think that's a that's a solid choice. Thank you. Along similar heavy lines, I have Malefic Globe. Malefic Globe. Yeah. Like, evil planet? Yeah. Ooh. You know, mm-hmm. just like, man, it just makes you think it's, it's, it's they're probably like more like doom kind of like, uh, I think maybe industrial, like a Neats or Ebb sounding type of band. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Like, yeah. like the orb, but like harder. Yeah, totally. More <laughs> malefic. Yeah. <laughs> I also had guest wings. Uh, Paul and Linda McCartney cover band. It could be. It could be like, yeah, you have uh, like maybe Ringo in the all-star band doing Wings covers. Oh, that's so bad. I don't know any Wings songs, but it sounds bad. I'm sure I do if I heard one, but I can't Did think. Did they do I can't Live and Let Die? Did they? It was either them or it was Paul McCartney as oh. a solo thing. I sometimes lose track of which is which. I know I like the Ram album, but I think that was a Paul McCartney that's solo a, album. No, Not that's a, that's a Harvey Sue Fisher. Oh, no, 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 no. That's Aries. And then subtitled, I am the Ram. Got it. Okay, that's right. Yeah. I get him and Paul McCartney mixed up. Well, they're two of the greatest uh, songwriters of our generation. Or of the generation a couple ahead of ours. Yeah, those are boomers, right? At least. But I kind of like Guest Wings. I I mean, I hadn't initially read it as a Wings cover band because I forget that Wings was a band, you know. So Guest Wings is like... Your friends come over and they forgot their wings. And... Uh, yeah, or just like the guest wing of a mansion, oh, you know. But okay. like, or also like, yeah, your friend comes over, they forgot their wings. Hey, man, you can fly by our power if you can't find your own right now. You know, it's like supportive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's a couple of different ways you could take guest wings. At least. Yeah. What else did you have? Okay. I had also more heavy sounds from 
a realm beyond sanity. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That does sound pretty heavy. Oh, yeah. Realm beyond sanity. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the, the band really came together around the song Sanitarium. Okay. Uh, by Metallica. See, I picture them sounding kind of like therapy? Is that how you're supposed to say that band name? Oh, does it have a... It has question a question mark in the end. Oh, man, that's... This, why, no, why not? I you're mean, supposed to say it like that, like grammatically, right? Right. But it's, it sounds just... And there's a du- there's not a few a different band, right? No, they're they're a pretty cool band. I, I think they're from Scotland. Music. They're they're good. They were on the uh, Judgment Night soundtrack. Yeah, but there's a few different ways you could say you could say therapy, or you could say like therapy. <laughs> either way, either way, sick. pretty tough sounding, pretty goofy. But I think a realm beyond sanity probably mm-hmm. could sound like them. I it, yeah no, it's a statement. Oh okay. I, there's no punctuation. What punctuation could contain them? That's probably their first record. (laughs) But all of this is a moot point, because if memory serves, we both have the The dreaded Dreaded Celestials. I can't remember what music they played. Was it an EDM band? I think they might be like Dread Zeppelin, but like where they do reggae reggae. covers of New Age songs. I don't think that was what we arrived (laughs) at last time, but it just makes sense. I just got a little bit sick. (laughs) That's fair, but I do think that's the kind of music they play. I feel like that's two things I can listen to on their own. Like, if I'm fortunate enough to be in a, like, a massage situation again, and they're playing that stuff, it's fine. Reggae music? No, like the the massage music. like a, Oh, like New Age. New Age. Yeah. The crystals and stuff. Sure. Music. Fine. Reggae. Dub. Love it. Yeah. Put the two together. Seems terrible. Yeah, but, hey. We don't make the rules. That's true. We just enforce them arbitrarily. All right, so... The, the dreaded Celestials it is. They're dub reggae, new age sounds. Yeah. Love it or don't. It's there. Hmm. All right, I'll post that up on Twitter. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect this issue? I think there's two to choose from, maybe three. I came up with two. One is used twice, I think. Okay. The noise wood yep. happens. It did in the last issue, too. I believe it is canonically what happens when somebody falls on their butt in another dimension. Mm-hmm. Happens twice in this issue. I believe it happened once in the previous one. I like the consistency that that just always makes a wood sound. Mm-hmm. But I think I preferred the other sound effect that I found in this, which is soosh. The, I think it's soosh. It's not a S-H-O-O-S-H? Let's take a look. The dagger stabbing into the crap wall that Steve built. Oh, you're it right. is a soosh. Soosh. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's a weak Thunderdome. It is poorly constructed. Mm. I like the idea of a dagger making that noise, but when I say it aloud, what I am hearing is like a super broy dude using that word to mean sushi. Hey, bro, you want to go get some sush? Totes. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> okay, fuck it. I'm going with wood. <laughs> Text me the deets. Dude, you gonna finish that with sob? I need it for my sush. Ah, uh, it just makes me feel like angry a little bit. Yeah, no, me too. Okay, not not just a little bit. I'm furious. Corey, how many of me are you seeing right now? There's two because you're standing. You're beside yourself with furiousness. Yeah, rage. That's a that's how most people would say it. Yep. Yeah, just a big ball of ire. I Agre- think you mean Irie. <laughs> oh! 
God, that was one of the things that drove me nuts in those Roy Thomas Thor issues that I read. Mm. The giant disembodied eyeball of Odin that Thor was fighting. Mm-hmm. It used the word I spelled E-Y-E in the first person. So it, it would say like, I think you forgot that I was telling you that, but I would be spelled E-Y-E. It's like I was saying. I'm shaking my head, listeners. It made me so angry. Yeah. It's Roy Thomas just having a chuckle when he was writing that, I'm sure. Oh, it's like, oh, Roy Thomas, you've done it again. <laughs> Is that how he sounds? Always. He adjusted his little monocle. <laughs> if you're listening, Roy, I'm sorry. Don't apologize to him. <laughs> Corey, every issue of a Defender's comic has a best Defender and also a worst Offender. In this issue, who did you have as your best D and who did you have as your worst O? For best, I went with Val. You already basically explained why in the outset with her uh, her confrontation with Odin and then her, I don't know if maturity is the right word, but just, you know, being like... I think maturity is the right word. I loved how she dealt with that situation. I had her as my choice as well. It's a really difficult conversation to have, and I think she really nailed it. And I think it's important to have that discussion in a comic book, that just because somebody is sorry doesn't mean you need to forgive them. And just because you can't forgive them doesn't mean that you don't love them. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. It was unusually nuanced. The only thing that detracted from it was, not from that, but from her, I guess, like, overall doings in the issue, was I felt like she had a pretty cavalier attitude towards the uh, orb that now contains the soul of the Enchantress, who is really a bunch of trouble, right? Yeah. And she's just like, okay, she's trapped in there. Hey, Steve! And she tosses it to him like a soccer ball. (laughs) He's like, oh! Do you trust him with that? No. He's gonna just put it in his den, and then he'll get confused and give it away to somebody. Mm -hmm. Just like he did with Dragon Fang, a a sword that we now know is occasionally cursed in various ways. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I have this. Um, Yeah, why don't you take it home with you? Maybe she's getting it back. But I mean, he's not the one who's going to suffer from it. It's going to be when, like, I don't know, fucking Turbo or Moon Knight stops by and he's like, oh, uh, take something with you. Mm -hmm. They're the one who's going to get fucked over. Yeah, that's true. I do think it's interesting that we, again, in addition to having female leads with complicated continuity backstories, we also have the through line between this and New Teen Titans of heroes who are inappropriately cavalier with spheres that could kill everybody. Yeah, that's true. So, interesting Mm. to note. Mm. For my backup for Best Defender, I had Clea for finally dumping steve that is a good one i i had a backup too i had patsy for mm. you know whether or not it's gonna work out great i felt like taking some agency back and gonna maybe confront maybe dad good for her mm-hmm. conversely for my worst offender i had steve oh come on all he did was leave his friends in unknown dimensions so that he could take some alone time because he was hurting hub <laughs> Yeah, just the fact that he decided like, well, yes, I probably could use some help on this, but you know what? I'd rather be by myself for a little bit, so I'll just look for them by myself. Alone again. Naturally. (laughs) Come on, man. 
that and just his overall cavalier attitude. Like, he tries to teleport everybody back to Asgard. Only Patsy shows up and he's like, well, good enough. It's like, dude, you just left those three dudes stranded. What the fuck? Yeah, disappointing. Yeah. Bad move, Steve. Also, forcing Spidey to make his own sex hammock. Setting up a lecture situation mm-hmm. when he needs to talk to a group of people. Just overall, he doesn't come across great. Plus, made a really subpar Thunderdome, as you mentioned. Yeah. So, Steve was my choice. Was he yours as well? Oh, yeah. Same reasons. For backups, I had Spidey for, you know, making the indoor furniture that is going to collapse into a puddle of goo in a friend's apartment. Mm-hmm. You don't leave a puddle of goo in a friend's apartment. Definitely not on the carpet. No. In the living room. We've all learned that. (laughs) It's inconsiderate. Really. Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie, if it were not made out of steel? Whew, boy. Tough to choose from because there are so many words in this issue, and a lot of them are pretty good. I'm going to start with a, a backup. Which is just a little quip on page five, where uh, Val says, Like hella they will. <laughs> I enjoyed that, kind of, but also, like, it's a weird turn of phrase considering that Hella is her old boss. I don't know, man. I never say, like, Like Hilda, you'll do that. Although maybe I could start saying that. Well, it's just, it's the play on words, right? Right. Because it sounds like hell. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of her role. It's fine, but that's your pure Two thing. It's a weird turn of for phrase. You? A little that, bit, yeah. yeah. I had as a backup, I think it was kind of funny how dismissive of Kyle's death Patsy is. On page 17, Beast is concerned about her, and Patsy says, Don't worry about me, you two. I know I was having trouble dealing with Val and Kyle's deaths, but at least Val's okay now, so so am I. Mm. It's like, ouch. That just kind of cracked me up. A little dig at Kyle. Yeah. Another backup that I had was on page eight. You had mentioned it before, but it is when B says, Son of a gun. I knew I had my Edith Hamilton straight. Those weren't harpies. They were Asgardian women under a spell. I like the son of a gun. I always like that when it is presented as one word. And especially when it's coming out of Beast, who has a tendency to mix a kind of stylized vernacular with very uriodite phrasing. It's fun. I think my winner for the pie not made out of steel is, gosh, I think it's, it's maybe on the first page, the exposition where they're setting things up. In the mythic realm of Asgard, home of the Norse gods, an angry goddess confronts her immortal enemy before an audience of friends. That's a very nice way to describe that. This really sets the scene, you know? Yeah, nice job. Uh, my favorite words in this are part of the speech that we talked about that we really liked that Val gives her surrogate dad, Odin. Not only do I like the message of that speech, but the way it's phrased. All father, the millennium of numbness in my heart does not permit me to forgive thee, but I can try to accept thee as thou art. Thy awesomeness and thy awfulness, and I pray thou canst do the same for me. Pretty good. Pretty good. And that's like just a good general sentiment. I hope people can accept my awesomeness and my awfulness. Like it's a continuum, right? Some people are set a little further towards the awful side. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But uh, yeah, I, I like the awesomeness and awfulness, but mostly I just really like the phrasing of that little speech. I think that the these and nows tend to get in the way a little bit, but didn't bother me in that one. 
No, I agree. Good choice. I hope Val isn't always going to talk with the these and nows from now on. That's going to bum me out. Well, we'll find out. If she does that, I think to offset it, she definitely needs to bring back her catchphrase up against the wall, male chauvinist pigs. Mm. Corey, what was your favorite panel? Gosh, I think I mentioned earlier one of the big strengths of the art in this issue is the way that the uh, emotion is rendered mm-hmm. on the characters' faces. And I have three choices that all have to do with the way that people look. And uh, two of them have to do with expressions of, I would say, extreme surprise. So on page 14 is uh, Surprised Defenders. Oh, yeah, when it's uh, Hulk, Son of Satan, and Namor. Yeah, it's the first time that they're seeing Nighthawk, and we don't necessarily know that at the time, but they all look so shocked, and Son of Satan especially is just like, what? Yeah, no, Son of Satan has definitely, what in the world, look on his face. Probably compounded by the fact that the three of them just fell on their collective butts with a loud wood sound. But, uh, yeah, I think of their three expressions, Namor looks pretty stoked and surprised, and the Hulk looks like he maybe just pooped in his purple shorts. (laughs) Could be. But that is a really nice panel. I like that one a lot, too. One of my favorites, it's come up in the past, but pretty much every time this happens, if it's drawn even competently, it's going to be in the running because it cracks me up. But we see Steve again getting bonked on the back of the head with a metal object, this time by a harpy with a small spiked mace, just biffing him on the back of the head. And uh, he had just finished saying something cocky, and he's like, it's E-H-dash-dash-U-H-H-H-H-H. So, (laughs) and uh, it just cracks me up. I like seeing Steve get hit on the head. Specifically in the back of the head, like he has this, his hubris will be his undoing. He's Always letting, well, not always, but often. It's happened a few this times. Maybe pretty the third, recently. third time somebody's gotten the drop on him from behind and knocked him out. Yeah, in, in the past several issues, I feel like. I know it happened in the issue that Kyle died in, and I feel like it happened one time pretty recently before that, too. But people are just always sneaking up on Steve, bonking him on the head with something, knocking him out. Also, Spidey warned him. He was like, hey, look out behind you. No, I don't believe I will. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that cracked me up. What other panels did you have? I had another one on page 15 that's uh, surprised Dolly and Vera. And it's a pretty, I don't know if charming is the right word, but it's comical. When Dolly is telling Vera about, you know, hey, Defenders seem pretty weird at first, but they're actually a pretty normal bunch. And then they all kind of phase into existence in her kitchen and surprise the hell out of everybody. And the panel is the one where she and uh, Vera are looking at them It's just, it's really cool the way that it's rendered and they both look pretty surprised and shocked. Yeah. And the dialogue mirrors that. Vera's like, you were saying, Dolly. And Dolly's like, never mind. Never mind, they are totally weird. Uh Mm Uh-huh. I enjoyed that too. I think my favorite though is on page 18 and it is Patsy doing flips and stealing donuts to mask the pain. Dolly's like, I can tell there's something wrong with you. This is just like when you lost your cat when you were a little girl. And Patsy's like, no, no, I'm fine. Look, I'll do some flips. She does like a bunch of flips over the coffee table, takes a carafe of coffee and a couple of donuts off of it, lands on her feet, and then 
is like, see, see how fine I am. And then she breaks down in tears. But uh, yeah, the action scene of her just like doing donut tricks. Pretty cool. Donut tricks. Mm-hmm. Nice. And more impressive now that we know that those are onion flavored donuts or possibly donut flavored onion rings. Mm-hmm. Probably the latter. Yeah. Maybe that's why she's crying because of the onions. No, they're cooked. Oh. All the sulfuric acid is dissipated. Yeah, but she probably tries to play it off that way. She's like, I'm not upset, Dolly. It's just these onion rings. I've just eaten too many onion rings. <laughs> I'm going to have a big back door. <laughs> Did you fry They're those in Alestra? That's the problem. Ow. That's why I'm crying. Legitimate reason to cry. Damn it, Dolly. You're right. I'm, I'm changing my worst offender to Dolly for frying those things in Alestra. Why? Oh, don't take cooking tips from Hulk Hogan. Don't take any tips from Hulk Hogan. Don't do it. Ugh. Any other panels? No, I'm just still getting over that Dolly's a Hulkamaniac. <laughs> it's unsettling. Now, Corey, we both know that unlike his namesake, Hulk Hogan, the Hulk rules. In this issue, what are the Hulk's rules? So, the Hulk took rules both from Val and from Patsy mm. in this issue, as we've already discussed. He had that takeaway that, you know, humans are complicated and relationships are complicated and sometimes there's nuance. So, you know, you can be angry at somebody and still love them. You can choose not to forgive something that somebody has done just because maybe that's more comfortable in the moment or the easier thing to do. But in the long run, you know, figuring out what your real feelings are about it is the right way to go. Yeah. And from Patsy, he took, you know, don't base decisions about how you feel on hearsay or something else that somebody might or might not have said. Mm. I had a similar Hulk's rule going. I had him learning the lesson from mostly Patsy. I think you're right. I think that uh, if nothing else, parental relationships are complicated would be a pretty good Hulk's rule. Mm -hmm. But in Patsy's case specifically, consider the source of your information. Mm. Because Patsy is basing a lot of her decision-making on something that Satan told her. Not the most reliable source of information. Maybe vet your source of information a little bit better. Consider where it's coming from. Look at your sources. Satan tells you he's your dad. Maybe he is. But it probably bears a little more research. Prince of Lies. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So that's my the Hulk's rules. He's a uh, pretty deep this issue. Yeah, well, he's got a lot on his mind. It's maybe, you know, putting on a little bit more of a show to cover for the fact that maybe he pooped his purple pants. Mm. Probably hit some of those onion rings. <laughs> oh, jeez. You know what? Scratch all that deep shit. That's the Hulk's rules. Stay away from Alustra. <laughs> Stay away from Alustra. Stay away from Hulk Hogan's house. <laughs> Never eat baked goods from Hulk Hogan. Okay. And that's the Hulk's rule. Well, Corey, just got one more question I gotta ask you. Oh, no. In the year of our Lord, 1982, and the month of our Lord, July, what Wong doings was Wong doing? So, Wong has been a technology enthusiast for 
you know, most of his, his adult life. And, you know, that's definitely come up before. But in July of 1982, a movie came out that, um, you know, didn't make as huge of a splash at that time, but it went on to have a pretty big impact on a lot of people. But before we talk about that, we have to rewind many years prior to what was the inspiration for what would become that movie. I wish that you guys could have seen the gesticulation that went with that noise that Hub just made. That was pretty onomatopoeic. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. So anyway, we are going to rewind all the way back to 1976 when... Yep. Just like that. Where uh, Wong was hanging out with his buddy, Steven Lisberger, who... They were playing Pong. Remember the, the really simple boop, boop, back and forth, hit a ball back and forth game? I am familiar with it, have never actually experienced it firsthand. All right. Well, there was some Jamaican incense going on, and, mm. and you know, they were enjoying the game. But uh, Wong got, you know, this idea into his head. Whoa, can you imagine, like, if you were in there, and you just had to hit that stupid ball all the time, and you couldn't get out, and, like, what a bummer that would be? Whoa. Yeah, that's what Steven Lisberger said. Just like that. So, fast forward several years, and uh, Steve and uh, producer Donald Kushner set up an animation studio to develop what would become Tron. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it was released on July 9, uh, 1982. It was a moderate success at the box office, but got a lot of positive reviews from critics and such, and, as we know, went on to spawn all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Sequel... 30 years later? 40 years later? 30? 5 years later? Uh, 28 years. Well, that's nice. Yeah, staying power. Apparently there was an animated show, too, and a bunch of toys. And I had the, I had one of the toys when I was a kid. Yeah. I never saw the movie until I was much older. But I had a, a Tron. Cycle? No, I just had a Tron and a uh, Master Control Unit. Mm. Is that what it was called? Something like the that. The red guy? Yeah. I had guy. a red guy and a blue guy. Uh-huh. And I thought they were cool looking. I remember my dad being like, those are Frisbees. Yeah, they were. Pretty cool. Pretty cool looking. Yeah. Good for Wong. Yeah. I mean, not like his usual big stuff, but a little well, cultural was, yeah. influence. Sure. You remember how uh, Daft Punk was in the sequel to Tron? Or the reboot of Tron? Mm-hmm. It was a sequel, I guess. Yeah. They did a song in there, and uh, they were dancing around to it. And I, I, I think it was a missed opportunity that they never said a... Uh, Oh, I'm still burning doing this new Tron dance. Yeah. Huh? Is it funnier this time that I said it than it was a couple weeks ago when I said it? I love you for your awesomeness and your awfulness. Ah. Well, that, that was my awesomeness. Nice to know that you love my awfulness, too, but uh, it hasn't been coming up lately. Anyway, that's one thing that Wong was <laughs> up to. In addition to that, Wong was helping his good friend Clea move. Because he is a solid dude. Mm. And helping a friend move, a nice thing to do. He, you know, was helping uh, Clea move back to the dark dimension, set up her stuff. And she started worrying a little bit that uh, Steve might be trying to keep an eye on her. And, you know, maybe with the eye of Agamotto. So she's like, now, Wong, do you think that Steve's watching us with the eye? And Wong's like, well, maybe there's a lot of different eyeballs floating around here. Like, I think that's Odin's disembodied eyeballs finally done lecturing Thor about Jesus or whatever it was trying to say. But yeah, there is a pretty good chance that uh, Steve is watching us all with the eye. 
And that phrase kind of rebounded around throughout the dark dimension. It affects our universe in various ways. And just the phrase, watching us all with the eye, oh, kind of got stuck in everybody's subconscious. And you know how an earworm works. You need to hear the conclusion of that phrase. And a band called Survivor had just released a song called Eye of the Tiger mm. for the Rocky Three soundtrack. And, uh... Due to Wong and Clea's influence, that song ended up rising to number one on the top of the pop charts on July 24th, 1982. Nice. That is a heck of a song. And it is a heck of a song. Now, the band Survivor had a lot of members in common, at least the lead singer, from Ben the Ides of March, who did the song Vehicle in the 70s, which is one of my favorite songs, and one of my favorite karaoke songs. I don't know if I know that one. Well, I'm the handsome stranger in a black sedan, and won't you hop inside my car? Got candy, got flowers, I'm a lovable man, and I can take you to the nearest star. I'm your vehicle, baby. I'll take you anywhere you want to go. I don't know. You don't know that song? I don't know that oh, that's song. a great song. Sammy Davis Jr. did a really good cover of it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, the same guy from uh, the band Survivor who I believe lectured Lisa's elementary school at career day at one point. Wow. About yeah. how to be a singer? Yeah, that's like a possible career option is uh, being the lead singer for Survivor. Parents everywhere are like, no. <laughs> Not a career in music for my child. Anyway, that's what Wong was up to in uh, July of 1982. Thank you so much for coming over and re-recording this episode with me, Corey. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. I had a surprising amount of fun uh, recording it, I gotta say. Yeah, it was almost like uh, never happened before. Well, fortunately, I got this piece of shit short-term memory. <laughs> I don't remember much of our previous conversation, so it was new to me. It's a gift. Yes. That's why they call it the present. If you'd like to get into touch with us, Maybe send us a present. Mm. Christmas is right around the corner. <laughs> you don't need to get us anything. But <laughs> we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. Or as this is the future, we can be reached electronically at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on various forms of the socials media. We're on uh, Facebook, the Twitter, the LinkedIn, seacaptainsonly.com, Friendster. Might be on a new app. I got an offer that might be a scam. I'm going to look into it. But maybe we'll be on a new social media platform soon. Just for us. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll, let, I'll let you know about that if it pans out and turns out it's not a scam. In the meantime, if you want to find us on one of those existing social media platforms, you can. Twitter is where we do the Battle of the Band Names poll. Rock the vote, people. If you're in line to vote when the polls close, they have to let you vote on these Twitter polls. Mm. It's the law. Mm. So don't let them talk you out of it. No, the more the merrier. Yeah. And hey, if you can't find us on the socials media, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Gosh, probably 
trying to fix my computer so it doesn't keep erasing our podcast. Have you considered putting a piece of an old cereal box in it? No, but uh, I'm going to go home and go through my old cereal box collection, <laughs> see oh, what I can do. Gosh, I know. You, you, you hesitate to take those out of the Mylar. <laughs> yeah, but... But yeah, it might might be worth it. Me, I'm gonna be wearing a sweater. That's what I'm gonna do. Be doing in people's cars. It's cold in here. Just trying to warm up. <laughs> if you enjoy the show and would like to support it financially, you can check us out at Patreon.com/ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show, is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa, that is available exclusively for our donors. There is also an extensive back catalog of little videos that I have made about classic comic books. Just posted a couple of new ones recently. There's one about Strange Adventures number 12, which features a backup story called The Man with the Op Art Eyes which is really cool. But there's a whole bunch of those that you can check out and just a bunch of other Patreon stuff that is just for our donors as a thank you for being so supportive of the show and uh, really making it possible for us to continue doing it. Uh, really appreciate that. And so thank you. If people would like to support the show in a non-financial way, Corey, what's a way people can do that? The two main ways that come to mind are leaving a review for the show, which you can do... Well, pretty much anywhere, but probably easiest wherever you got the podcast from. Sure, unless you're a newspaper reporter. Yeah, then leave a review. Yeah, review us in your newspaper. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost the end of the year. If we're one of your top uh, podcasts of the year, make a list of top podcasts of the year and just uh, put us all up there like the star on the top of your Christmas tree. Yeah. If you are into that. Yeah, why not? Or just, you know, put us for every slot. That would be a real, real thinker. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Uh-huh. Break out my uh, dreaded celestials and <laughs> try and figure that one out. If you don't have a newspaper, go to maybe your uh, podcast listening application and say, uh, hey, this show, whoa, five stars. Or call your newspaper. Yeah, call your newspaper and say, why aren't you covering the important issues like tighten up the defense? Or if you're a newspaper reporter in the 30s, then you can just say, Tighten up the defense has a podcast. What a scoop. What's a podcast? I don't know. I'm too busy doing the hurdy-gurdy. Dancing on a flagpole. Yep. So you can Me do... and all my friends are piling into this phone booth wearing our raccoon fur coats. What? That's a thing people used to do. Like specifically with raccoon fur coats? Yeah, I think so. That is really weird. Yeah, people were weird. It was the 30s, Corey. Oh, it was a weird time. It was the weirdest time. Mm. What a scoop! I, 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 I don't know. Five stars! Yep, so you can do that. And then uh, the other thing is you could uh, just tell somebody. Yeah. Somebody you trust. Or <laughs> right. Somebody or, you don't. Yeah, somebody who's who's dishonest. Maybe, maybe uh, you can scare them straight. Yeah, get them some Hulk's rules. Yeah, give them some tough love with our podcast. Mm. Be like, hey, straighten up and fly right. Listen to Tighten Up the Defense, Jack. That's right, friend. Yeah, you pal. Don't, you don't mean it. You know one of the main reasons I'm glad Lisa's really good at fixing stuff mm. is because I don't like to call people to come fix stuff for two reasons. One, I'm cheap. Mm -hmm. And B, I don't want anybody to call me boss. 
Oh, yeah? Yeah, I really hate it when people do that. Really? Well, we got a couple options here, boss. Mm. Oh, gosh, I hate that. What, why does it bother you It so just much? sounds... It's, I, I just it's really don't... It, it's like being called Chief. Or, or Ace. Or uh, Tiger. <laughs> no, Tiger's for kids. I know! Bosses for grown-ups. I don't know. I think it has the same effect. Like, like you would call like, Well, what kind of ice cream would you like, boss? That's you're talking not, to a little kid. That's not how That's it how works. you would see yeah, That's how not. people say it. They'd say little man or <laughs> no, something like that. Worse. Or big guy. I don't like that. Hey, either. big guy. What? I don't care for that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Ace. Yeah, sorry, boss. Well, chief, <laughs> looks like we're getting to the end of the show. So, uh, gonna have to wrap this up, little man. All right, Hefe. Yeah, I'm okay with that. That one sounds Let's okay. Let's bring a different language in. It's much better with it. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Um, Oyo Boon. Si, Presidente. Oh, gracias. Mucho guapo. Muy guapo. Oh. Very handsome. You said a lot of handsome. Yeah. Did, did folks yeah, want? no, I, I'm... A lot of handsome. I'm a lot of handsome. <laughs> Mucho guapo. Yeah. <laughs> like all of it. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Well, that does lead us into our next category. Bong. I'm gonna put a gong noise there. Oh, I always do. Uh huh. I've heard the show. Yeah. Okay. I, I just I, I didn't know. hear your voice bong to be the actual gong. Yeah. No. It was, it was, confused. Confused. It was a bad gong impression, and I apologize. Well, it's okay. You're welcome. I forgive you. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? And I give this a uh, crap a shot. <laughs> give it a crapshoot. All right. Wait, is that where that comes from? That's people I, I, trying to. I don't understand this? the name of that dice game. Yeah, I don't either. That's what it is, right? Crap shoot. Yeah, like you're shooting craps. Right. So a crap shoot's a gamble, but like, yeah, I don't know why. Is that what they used to make dice out of? Just old poop. Just old poop. Wombat <laughs> <laughs> poop. Oh yeah. Because there are no Square. cubes in nature. Yeah. Except for wombat poop. Uh huh. Butt fighting, cube pooping, little miracles. <laughs> you should do ad copy for wombats. They don't need it. The product sells itself, right? <laughs> but yeah, that's probably where the People. word uh, craps comes from. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, the it's only an Australian cube. game. Yeah, it's a little, a little known fact. Mm-hmm. The only cubes in nature are wombats' poops, and so that's uh, what the original dice were probably made out of. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yeah.